You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Hannies. It's Amiria Sai, and you're back for season two of The Take On. Hi, everyone. It's Amiria Sai. You're back with The Take On. I know I've been MIA because I've been obsessed with Clubhouse. I literally spend 16 hours a day. I'm literally showering and I'm at dinner with friends and I literally have my headphone in. So thank God I was on this app because I found Nadia Okamoto and I'm obsessed. Every time I share a stage with her, I'm like dying. Um, Before she talks, I need to go through her impressive resume and I'm obsessed. First of all, she's stunning and gorgeous. If you're not following her on Instagram, you're missing out. Um, First off, author of Period Power founder of the period movement, which is huge. Go follow that as well. She's also working on her own brand and getting like her monies together and just living her best life. It's called August. It's a period brand. Again, for me, as a man who doesn't have a period, I've never been stigmatized around a period because I have a lot of cousins and I have a sister. And a lot of men are so uncomfortable, but I love the way that you take the stigma out of it. Nadia, how are you, sweetheart? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I love this topic, believe it or not, because I talk about it a lot. I'm always like, if men were having blood come out of their dicks, there would be a, there would be free tampons everywhere. We'd be talking about, we'd be taking mental health days when we had our periods. We literally, when there'd be a room for having cramps. Like I'm telling you, it's because it's not happening to men that women still continue to have the tampon tax. Um, and that's my first question. Can you break that down for us, this tampon tax? Oh, yes. This is like one of my favorite things to talk about, obviously. (laughs) Um, So the tampon tax is a sales tax on period products, considering them non-essential goods. So um, people might refer to it as like a luxury tax, the tampon tax. Um, The reason why this is so aggravating is that at the same time, products like Rogaine and Viagra, penile pumps, donuts in some places, chapstick are considered uh, essential goods, like medical necessities in some cases, and don't have that sales tax on the same standard, right? So in here, basically what this is saying is, is like old man hair growth and erections are like more of a necessity than period products for like over half of our global population. Mm-mm. That's exaggerating, but you know what I mean? I got you. <laughs> and did you say donuts are an essential item? I heard that. In some places, what? in some places, donuts just don't have that same taxes um, as period products do. 
Wow. And when I started, the good news is that we're making progress, right? Okay. So okay. when I started my uh, nonprofit in 2014 and kind of got into this, uh, there were there was a tampon tax in 40 states, and now there's 30, which is which is a lot to celebrate, but definitely a lot more work to do. Um, especially when you look at other countries like India, Australia, um, the UK that have completely taken down the tampon tax, right? So the US definitely has some catching up to do. Well, in so many regards, should I make a list? LGBTQ rights, trans rights, um, race. We have so much work to do. And I think that's the number one thing. Like, I remember my friend was literally crying in the bathroom in high school because, you know, those like those disgusting like metal containers, there was no more tampons and she was bleeding through her outfit. And I was like, girl, here's my sweater. We're going to live our best lives. You're going to be able to have a child one day. Let's get up. And I always like, even though I was like so closeted and I was bullied, I always had this like inner Mariah Carey. And she came out in that bathroom and I was like, get up. We're not crying. But like, that's the thing with this. It's There's so much shame around it. Like I remember we were on a trip and my sister had like a period stain on her white pants. And I had like my aunts and women kind of making fun of it. And it was so interesting, like kind of saying it's gross. And I, I remember like as a kid being like, wait a second, without a period, there'd be no life, right? And a lot of men are willing to put things into vaginas or their dicks included. But when it comes to, to <laughs> listen, it's true. And then when it comes to like period, they're like, ew, that's so gross. I'm like, what's gross about it? Like, I, can we like, can you break down like some of those comments you get, and even women that are ashamed of their own periods, right? Like hiding it, like going to work, even though they have pain. Um, and then there's like, there's the whole conversation of endometriosis as well. I have a lot of friends who are so ashamed about that. Like any kind of yeah. like stuff around the reproductive organ and the vagina, people get so uncomfortable. Where do you think that stems from that shame, that kind of guilt of like, I have a period and I'm in pain. Like I can't go to work. Like, where does that stem from? You can break that down. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I think that where the period stigma comes from, like, there isn't obviously, like, one answer for this. But at the same time, like... I mean, where do we even begin? Like we can start at like the etymology of the word, like taboo, which means like the thing you don't talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Where literally the root of the root word, you know, the root of that word, like literally means menstruation. Um, and so a lot of the things that we think about when it comes to like where the stigma comes from is like so embedded throughout history, right? You're totally right. Periods make human life possible. If periods weren't happening, like none of us would actually be here. Mm -hmm. um, and yet like in Genesis of the Bible, right? The opening of the Bible, um, menstruation shows up as like punishment for Eve and for women um, for committing the sin of getting the apple, right? And throughout wow. um, the Bible, but also throughout religious texts, um, uh, you know, it's kind of cited as a thing of like uncleanliness, right? And how, you know, it's even looked down upon to like lay with a woman or be with a woman or around a woman in the same bed when they're on their period. Um, and I know that you are very open about your, your own um, religious beliefs as well. Um, and I think that it's really fascinating because even in the instances where it's not necessarily a negative association with periods, right? So um, for Muslim women, maybe not being able to pray when they're on their period, right? And for that not be necessarily being like a, a negative thing, but also it still is saying this idea of your period being when you're like, quote unquote, cleansing your body, right? So thinking about what is the connotation of what a period is? Um, is it associated with being dirty or clean? Um, is it associated with, you know, kind of 
it's so directly tied to sex in many ways because like biologically it's when you're you get your period when you're old enough to then be able to bear children and so I think there's all of these different dynamics at play um at the same time I think that the stigma around periods has very much been used to like oppress women right mm-hmm, um, I think that you know even in 2016, we saw, you know, these mainstream media outlets talking about how Hillary Clinton couldn't be president because 25% of the time she'd be menstruating, her hormones would be all over the place. Um, Meanwhile, she was like 10 years too old to get her period, right? And I think similarly, like, we think about how the stigma around menstruation has like continued to assume women are less capable when they're on their period. And I think that that's where there is a lot of hesitancy and stigma around the conversation around endometriosis and period pain, right? Right. Because period pain is very serious, but it's a double edged sword of how do we create inclusive conversations to talk about it at the same time as also not perpetuating the idea that people are less capable. Right. And all this to say, like it is stigmatized for women, but like, even more stigmatized for people who are not cis women on their period, right? It's wow. not just cis women who get their period, but also people who might be um, gender nonconforming, who might identify as trans men, who might also experience menstruation, right? And so there are so many layers to this, whether you look at it from throughout history, you look at it as like how gender roles are constructed around the ability to become pregnant, which is literally signified by the first period, um, all the way to how it shows up in our language that we use. Um, and even how it shows up in pop culture all the way to like the actual Bible. Wow. Wow. This, 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 listen, this is why I needed you on the podcast. And I kind of forgot I'm supposed to interview you because I was in awe of what you were saying. So I, I want to break down, first off, from the Muslim perspective, like, thank you for bringing that up. That was really interesting to me. And even, and the way in the Bible it's punishable or there's, there was like period huts where they would put the woman away, right? There's a lot of like kind of making women seem hysterical because of the hormones. There's a lot, there was a lot to unpack there. But first off with the, with the Muslim woman. So Islam is, aside from the media and what we see and a lot of the way that countries interpret the religion at its core, it's actually a very female-centered religion. So the Prophet mm-hmm. Muhammad actually didn't have money. It was Khadija, which is his wife, who was a millionaire. And, and, and she was one of the first known female millionaires. And she donated all her money to Islam. So the fact that an older woman was also supporting him, like, and she was rich, is, is very unheard of at that time. So it, the way that the period, the way it's set up is that when you are on your period, you're in pain. So it does seem like it's you're pushed away, but it's that God doesn't want you to do the prayer because it's an up-down movement and it's going to make people feel bad, right? Like if you're pregnant, yeah. you don't have to pray. Like there's a lot of thoughtfulness around the way that women are treated in Islam. And this is Quran-based. This is literal, not the way that countries interpret it, right? So even around like, you don't have to fast if you're on your period. You don't have to fast if you're pregnant. So there's a lot of thoughtfulness around really for a lot of, Muslim households, if you go to the house, the woman actually runs the family, right? She runs the man. She A lot of times she runs the finances, which a lot of people don't know about this because there's such a negative connotation of being Muslim, right? It's a forced hijab. It's a forced like, you know, Afghanistan, Iran, you know, Iraq. It's like showing this like kind of very like stigmatized culture. Um, but at its core, it's it's very interesting. So you even mentioning that was, was really fascinating. I also want to go to what you said about the way that periods are even seen in the media, right? Saying that Hillary Clinton's going to have a period. And then also like the way that men speak, right? She's on her rag, like crimson tide. Like we use all these words and I'm like, just say period. Because when men Mm -hmm. have wet dreams, like 
Nobody's embarrassed. I've never heard a man be... And that is really... You have no control like of that, right? So, But that's celebrated, right? A man is now a man or whatever. Like, oh, you have an erection? It's celebrated. We don't control that. Like, Especially when you're 12, it just pops up anywhere. I used to have a large notebook because I was mortified. But like, but then with the period, it's like, even though women can't control it, it's like, it's happening to you biologically. There's so much shame around it. Like, Like, even my dad would be like, oh, I'm not buying period products. Like, there's so much like... I'm like, I literally carried out of the store. I'm like, I don't have a vagina. Like, but my sister does. Like, you know, and and it's it's just all of that is so complicated. And I guess my point in that is that I love that you also mentioned that there are like I have friends who are trans that are in transition that still menstruate. And and then there's so much shame around that. That's another level of shame. I want to ask you, where do you think for women specifically? a lot of the shame around their body comes from? Is it from other women? Is it men? Is it society, culture, pop culture? Like, I just, it's really fascinating to me. Like, and then now we're in the transition of like the diva cups and we have TED Talks about periods and obviously your presence is in your book. And it's like, we're, we're, it seems like we're making a shift in the right direction. But I still, even when I told my friend I was talking to you, they were like, oh, period. Ugh. I was like, why yeah. is it still a cringe thing? Like, I don't get that. Well, and that's a whole part of the goal with um, August, right? So August mm-hmm. is um, my current startup that I'm focusing on, we're lifestyle period brand. And like people are like find it to be so radical even in 2021 that we say mm-hmm. the word period, right? To your point, exactly. Like so many brands have built their brand out of saying you know, about perpetuating negative stigmas around periods, saying buy our product because this is such a negative time, like buy our product to hide you of a period, to hide this time of the month. Right. And I think so much of what we're saying is like, no, we're like actually going to show menstrual blood. Like this is a real experience that we all are very familiar with. And like, let's be real about it. I mean, I think that in, in, in answer to your question, like where does the objectification and sexualization of women come from, I wouldn't say it's from men or from women or specific gender. I would say it's from like the fucking patriarchy, right? Like mm-hmm. I think that in many ways, um, and this is actually something I loved studying in school too, right? Is like, I think that there's this phenomenon of women being threatened by other women especially around bodies, because we have been conditioned by the patriarchy to believe that our worth is from our body and how it can be used or um, a tool of attraction for men. Very heteronormative, of course. But also at the same time, the assumption that there is not room for all women in this space because we are a small exception to getting a seat at the table, right? So the idea that I, as a woman, my value is potentially defined by how it is deemed by men who are in higher power, right? And at the same time, me pulling up a chair to a seat at the table and kind of trying to flirt my way into it, that doesn't leave room for other women because then there wouldn't be enough room for me, right? And so it's really this fascinating and like angering dichotomy of like, well, even if that is one way someone might feel empowered, it's not truly putting the putting power and decision-making power into the hands of people who might identify as women, right? Because at the end of the day, it's based off of the needs, desires, wants, um, decision-making of the men. And so I would say that it is patriarchy and it is 
it is truly the responsibility of women to call that out and dismantle it within ourselves, but also of men to call it out, right? And of men to realize like it's not on them to fill a one token spot of women or like kind of, you know, the diversity card, right? And like, how do you actually reframe this whole system, flip the damn table and say like, we need to reshift society because it's objectifying, not just women, but objectifying people and valuing them for things that aren't just like valuing someone for their own worth, but like by their utility to society or productivity to like a cause that is not their own. Absolutely. And I think what you're saying is really key because it's it's about dismantling a system. And I talk about this a lot when it comes to white privilege or white supremacy. It is not the onus of the people who are being hurt by it to dismantle it as much as it is the people that started it, right? So it is a a combination of the two, right? It's it's women to dismantle it. It's also men to become allies and also realize your two children you love came through a canal that then bled every month for for however long to have those children, right? So there is this like Again, like I said, men are willing to go down on a woman. They're going. They're willing to fuck it. They're willing to talk about it all day and say it's mine. But then when it bleeds, they're like, oh, it's so gross and I don't want to be around it. And it's like, I, I just... And also using PMS. I, we hear it a lot, right? In, in, in like shows and media. Oh, she's on her period, PMS. And it's like, I have friends who don't really experience symptoms. Like they don't yeah. have extreme... They have some pain, but they don't really have like a huge mood swing. Like I have a friend who's a COO at a company. Like she doesn't really have... She's just a strong woman. So blaming yeah. it on her period, like that to me seems like a cop out. It's kind of like when gay men are told like, oh, he's so sassy because he's gay. And it's like, those things don't connect. Like you can be sassy and straight. So yeah. like, how do you navigate those conversations, especially being so public and on Instagram and obviously like becoming like a public figure around this topic? How do you navigate those kind of tone deaf questions of like around PMS or even like flow, right? I saw a commercial with, I think it was Amy Schumer, where she's talking about all the different tampons you use and different flows. Like, is it dumb to ask those questions? Is it dumb to want like a beautiful tampon? Or is that just, again, women being objectified and wanting to make everything pretty for them? Does that make sense? Like, just curious about all those. I, I, in no way like think it's dumb to ask for better period care because like it's true look at all of the innovations we've had around tech and personal care otherwise but yet we're using like a very similar patent of a tampon and pad to what we were a hundred fucking years ago right like I think that there and and you can say that about like so much related to women's health right like I think that overall there's a lot of catching up to do Um, and I think that the reality is in many ways it's just not prioritized right? right I mean I would actually, I I actually wanted to reach out to you outside of this even because, you know, I think that it's been really fascinating to think about the role of media and cultural like influence around the conversation around periods, right? Because I started my work in 2014 and it wasn't until 2015 that like mainstream media outlets started labeling 2015 the year of the period when they started talking about period poverty. And even now I've been like pitching nonstop to different writers and editors and it is like appalling to see the responses I still get today of people who are like, I'm not interested in talking about periods. It's not something our audience would be into. Right. Or like, I don't think our audience would be ready for this. Right. Or like, I think that there's still a resistance to talking about it. I think it's also, there's a lot of people in progressive media who are like, but periods aren't stigmatized. I talk about it with my girlfriends. Right. And you're like, well, but there's still period stigma if 
you know, if you, when you go to the bathroom, hide your tampon up your sleeve because society has conditioned you to think that this little wad of cotton is a source of shame, right? Do you talk about it openly with other people? Do you openly ask for period products to be stocked in restrooms? Um, And even if you don't feel that stigma, like the reality is we still live in live in a world where that stigma exists, where it isn't an open conversation, where there is this negative connotation around it, where we're still fighting the tampon tax, we're still fighting for access to period products in adequate measures in, you know, prisons and schools and to have food stamps cover period products, you know, to have literally the first period, like uh, anyone's first period, not be a reason they drop out of school globally, right? And I think that there is still like part of my frustration over the last literal week has been trying to find partners in media and press who are excited to talk about periods and not scared that it will hurt their reputation. And also that they understand that having these conversations and destigmatizing things like periods or even mental health, right, are conversations that need to be had and that discomfort that will be caused is a necessary part of creating change. If you're not getting any pushback, it literally means you're speaking into a void of people who already agree with you, which mean, which is not change, right? That's just talking to people who already agree with you, right? And so I think that that's been a huge part of like my, the work that I continue to do even from the company side, which is like, how can we as a brand normalize the fact that talking about periods in an open way should already be the normal. It shouldn't be this radical thing in 2021 that we as a company say the word period. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Absolutely. And you know you know what is interesting is that I worked in a, I worked in Hollywood as a publicist for years, and it was a very male-dominated space. And a lot of the men would come in and be like, I took a shit or like, I just had a really great pee and they were very open. But then there was a couple of women that were so ashamed of their periods. And it was like, this guy's literally talking about shitting at a meeting with like high net worth individuals. And it's yeah. totally fine. So like, and I say that to be flippant because I think that the way that I operate in the world is very irreverent. And I, I mean, even just talking now, I'm thinking we should do like a clubhouse room on the fact that periods are not just for women to show that there are trans people. There are people outside of identifying as quote unquote female biologically that that there is so much that can be more inclusive right like imagine the shame that a woman who is assigned at birth feels let alone someone who is transitioning or is non-binary there's going to be even added shame so there's an opportunity there to continue to educate but I, I think 
especially with media, it's really funny. Even when I was pitching um, clients around queer issues a couple years ago, they would say, oh, but everyone loves the gays. We love Queer Eye. I just love Carson Cressley. He's amazing. I'm like, you've met 1% of gay people and you seem like there's no issue. Like people are still being bullied. People are still being murdered. People are still killing themselves when they come out. It, I think the thing with period stuff is that like a lot of people are like, ooh, I don't want to talk about that. So they just pretend it's fine, right? Like yeah. I even had to check my own kind of toxic masculinity when I was on your page because there was something I think you, you had done like like blood on you or like some red paint. And I was like, I didn't know if it was blood or red paint. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, that's too much. But then I had to quickly check my toxic masculinity and be like, I am in her space and I need to listen and learn and be okay with that, right? Like I had to educate myself. And I only say that because a lot of times people think because it's my podcast or it's my room or I'm my Instagram that I know better, but I don't either. Like I have my own, you know, self, what is it? Preconceived notions around period, around being a woman, right? Like, so I think it, it, it's a very complicated issue. And I like to take the glo like the kid gloves off, which I feel like we have to be able to dismantle it because if we continue to tiptoe around it, it's not going to fix itself, right? So... I guess my, my next question is people that message you um, with questions, I'm sure you got questions around shame in their period. Like, how do you navigate that? Like, because one thing you mentioned was really key is that a lot of people around the world, when they do have their first period, it's a possible time for an arranged marriage. So they're thrown out of school. So I've heard of people, especially in Afghanistan and other countries, hiding their periods because they wanted to continue their education. Um, again, how do you navigate some of those really complicated issues around a period? I mean, you know, to be honest, I feel like this is where I really just try to listen and learn, right? And then maybe like use whatever platform I do have to support because I think that um, when it comes to things like periods, right, and the global traditions around periods, like I'll be the first to admit that like that is a world that I only know about from reading, right, or from listening. And so especially when it comes to international work, I think that and I think this is really important for people who work in the U.S. Um, or from a place of privilege in, in the nonprofit space is like, even if you disagree with the mentality behind certain cultural practices, you have to respect that it's not your culture, it's theirs, right? Amen. And I think so much of the work that comes from like fighting for, you know, human rights or like whatever kind of people deem, it starts by like really listening. And so for me, like, I, I, I like to just like read, um, and, and try to educate myself and then do my own research to find the right organizations and people who actually experience those things and live in those communities and then ask them what they need and ask them what I can do to support. Right. And so whether that be, you know, connecting with organizations that are actively working to stop practices of female gender mutilation or child marriage, um, who work in those communities and figuring out how I can support them by asking them what they actually need, um, to me, that's really my first step, right? I think that, and, and that that's honestly a mentality I have even around business, right? Like, who am I to create a period brand without first asking people what they actually want for their periods? My period should not represent the experience of all menstruators, right? So I think mm -hmm. so much of it is like centering the end user or like the end benefit, like whoever is benefiting from that work, like at the center of all services. Amen. And I think that that's really important because a lot of times we center our own voice or I've, I've been guilty of this with business where I've been like, well, that's what I want. And it's like, well, is that what the user or your follower wants? And I think that having a presence on Instagram and TikTok has really helped me to be like, 
oh, this doesn't really serve my users. So like, if I'm not serving my followers and my people, then they're not going to translate to like a future customer, right? So I've been very intentional. Be- with Even when I get a lot of hate, I'm like, but my followers like this. So I don't really care if you have a problem with me being a queer Muslim and you want me dead because you're not really going to be a customer anyway. You're just following to troll. And that's fine. So I think that when you're navigating in these spaces that are generally like VC space, Harvard, like these environments where you're an Asian woman who's talking about a topic that I feel like most white straight men are want to close their ears and go, la, 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 la. Like, yeah. how do you navigate that? And again, like you said, you know, you told me offline, like, you don't speak Japanese. Like, and then is there a part of like, then being identified as this Asian woman in a white space? How do you navigate some of those things? Like, do are because it's like, those are very white centric spaces, very male dominated, especially when you're asking for like funding and VC and, you know, all of the, 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 the tech world that you occupy. Um, I'm just curious how you navigate that. Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, it's, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I think something that I have recently been even called in to do is like, when I'm navigating white dominated spaces, not just focusing on like getting my agenda forward, but like actively bringing in other people of color into those spaces. Right. And like, that's something that like, I honestly don't think I had the, I don't want to, I don't know if intellect is the right word, but like maybe even the own self-awareness to do. Right. Like I think that in many ways, and it goes back to what we were saying about like patriarchy, right. This idea that in white dominated spaces, it's not the easiest assumption to be like, oh, I'm making room for myself. They're also open to making room for all these other people, right? And it really is on us to show up and be like, no, if I'm coming in, we're all coming in, you know? And I think that for me, how I navigate it is, you know, I mean, to be honest, like, I'm still figuring it out because I think I grew up very much trying to just deny that I, I was a person of color in many ways, right? Like thinking about how do I make myself non-threatening to these white liberals that I'm working with in Portland, the whitest major city in the United States, right? Like, and I think it wasn't until very recently that, and you can see this even in my social media feed, like, I think it's only in the last several months, like actually coming out of like mental health residential treatment that I've kind of had more of this mentality of like, screw like trying to filter what I say so that you'll Mm -hmm. be a donor of mine. Like, this is what I want to fight for. And I want to show up unapologetically. Like it wasn't until last year that I started posting menstrual blood, like literal images of it. And why didn't I feel comfortable doing that for the first five years of my activism? Right. And I think a lot of it was around in order to get in the door, I felt this pressure to, you know, in many ways, um, like code switch in many ways, right? Like how do I make myself different enough that's intriguing, but not so different that they're threatened by it or scared by it or think I'm gross or weird, right? And I think that I come from a place of privilege now where I have enough credibility in the space where I can do stuff like that, right? And it's not going to jeopardize how much they're willing to entertain my conversation, right? Because I've established after almost seven years of this work that like, I really mean business. Right. But that's been so that's taken so much work. And to be honest, I didn't feel the the most call to be unapologetic in that way until very recently. Wow. 
I mean, you said so many things that resonated with me, so I want to unpack it. Like, first off, I think for me too, I, I working as a publicist for you know Michael B. Jordan and some really A list people, I was always trained that you need to have a certain professional brand. I was yeah. very good at code switching, and even now, like I go in a shoot your shot room on Clubhouse, I can be very with all the straight people. I can go into a gay room, I can go into a white privilege room, I can go into a black space and feel comfortable. That I can really operate in different spaces. And that I think is a skill. It's something that I work at and it's something that I'm good at. But there are times where I'm like, this is exhausting, right? To have to code switch to fit. But I think for me, really, it was crazy because I remember I was planning a pool party for Pride right before the pandemic in June of like two years ago. And this brand reached out and was like, oh, we're willing to give you all this money and partner with you, but you need to delete all of your white privilege posts. And at that time, I was not verified. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're a big brand. Like, if I mentioned it, you would know who they are. Um, And they were like, you have to do this and do that. And I didn't have a lot of followers. I was not verified. Like, I didn't really have the clout to be like, what the hell? So I remember like deleting one or two posts and then immediately realizing what the fuck am I doing? So I reached out to them and I was like, absolutely not. And it was it was so funny because they were kind of laughing at me like, good luck with your pool party. Like, you know, and like I ended up doing it and it was fine, but it's just like, it's just so funny because you look back on stuff like that and you're sometimes when you are in a weak spot, like you do get affected by things like that. And, you know, I always, I always hear this from RuPaul and it's always like, if they're not making you come or paying your bills, like (laughs) don't mind them. Right. But sometimes I do need them to pay my bills. Right. So it's like, it's just a really hard place to navigate in. And I don't know, it's just, it's quite tough. So I really resonated with what you were saying about wanting to dismantle things, right? But also still wanting to operate within a system, right? It's a patriarchal, white-centered space. And I work in that space. So I have to learn how to navigate that. And it it can be quite kind of demoralizing. So, and then you add the period blood on top of it. And like, when I was looking at your post, like there was the one with the two fingers and the blood. And I, again, like I said, I had to check my own toxic masculinity and to be like, wait, am I being like, period resistant because I'm like yeah. I don't want to see that but then like now that that I've checked that like when I see a picture of a tampon string and your cute ass booty I'm like okay <laughs> this I'm I'm I've checked it I'm in I'm on the train like let's do this right because yeah. why are we hiding these things or like I saw a commercial and it, I don't remember the name of the brand Tinks or something and I'm not promoting them but it was like period panties and how you can wash it and there was I could tell there was so much shame around even washing your panties I'm yeah. like why are we constantly just like women adding to shame? And then, and then it's a lot of times it's like run by white women. And again, this is no shade to white women, but I always feel like there's a little bit of tone deafness around wanting to kind of empower women. And a lot of these commercials, like you can play sports, you you know, Aunt Flo is coming, but you can go to the pool. And I'm like, why are we making it so like, you have to ride a horse when you're on your period? Like, I don't get that. Yeah, what is that no, about? it's it's so it's frustrating, and I think that that that's where it comes down to. Like, there's there's continues to be so much work to be done, and that's why I'm still here. You know, <laughs> we love having you. We need you, I, and I'm sure it gets exhausting. So I do want to ask you about like some self care routines. Like, what do you? Because I get really burnt out, and you know, being an activist, not only a Black Lives Matter activist, but an like every queer life matters. I have so many things that I'm taking on and it's like, sometimes I feel burnt out and I'm like, the world sucks and I don't want to deal with it. So how do you navigate? Because you do have a really great sense of humor. Like me, we both like kind of laugh at stuff and can move through the world in that way. So how do you operate? I mean, aside from, you know, that mental health facility that you got help from, how are you navigating and when do you ask for help? Like, 
those are some. I mean, I think I asked. I ask for help every day, all the time, right? As I continue to, you know, try to navigate the fucking world, right? It's like I don't think there's a day that goes by where I'm not like actively reaching out for help, trying to, um, you know, trying to continue. Yeah, try to continue like just fighting, like building anything, right? And I think that for me, another thing is just like finding what works for me in terms of self-care. Like for me, um, working out is like a huge part of that. Like I need to be working out and like have space for like activity because that's honestly like what my body needs. Like my body needs that endorphin rush um, in order to feel like kind of ready to take on the day. I got you. I, I love a good endorphin rush. I mean, I listen, navigating this space like, I want to kind of, because I know that I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to play like a fun little, it's not going to be fun because I always make everything serious, but it's going to be a game. Okay. G A M E. (laughs) Um, But I always start these games and I'm like, oh my God, I got so serious. But okay. When it comes to period products, like, are you a diva cup person? Are you a tampon person? Are you doing pads? Like, is there like, is there hierarchy? Is there like, because a lot of like, especially in Muslim communities, like a lot of moms won't recommend their daughters use the tampon because of the hymen. Is that a real thing? Like, can can you like, see the game's not fun. I, I yeah. made it not fun. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, so I am completely an August product user and I can't really talk more about that yet. Um, but okay. stay tuned for like okay. in a couple months. But I'm like, Ooh. I've only been using August product. And a lot of it is because I have naturally okay. really heavy period. I grew up using okay. menstrual cups and then started to, you know, really, I started to really feel like I needed, um, like kind of more absorbent care that I like, you know, could be a lot more active with. Right. So, um, I'm really excited, excited for that. And I think that it very much is dependent on what, what is comfortable for each person. Like everybody's period is different. And I think it's the beauty, but also like kind of need for improvement when it comes to the period industry. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when it comes to like, the flow is there like is does it does it get less like or like does yours get more and then less like is it an up and down scale or like how does it work for me it's totally up and down for me it's like completely up and down like it very much depends on how stressed i am how active i am what products i might be using what's happening at the time like that's why there there's so much conversation to be had around periods right like with august we have this um, this kind of growing uh, community, right? And um, our inner cycle community where you have all these conversations is, is so important for to be able to, um, you know, to be able to continue having these open conversations that otherwise people aren't really having. And there's unlimited conversations to be had around it. I love that. Um, are you into these like new tampon subscription things where it's like all natural, organic? Like, are those things good or bad? Like, what are your thoughts? I love them, but I'm also very much, um, I'm very much biased because it's, it's kind of the wave that, um, August is writing on as well. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. Yeah. I can't wait for this announcement. You have to tell us so, um, we can promote it and really get on board. Cause it's, it sounds really exciting to me. Um, yes, I'm, so I'm, I I'm just excited about periods, girl. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, it's so good to talk to you and I will see you on clubhouse. Yes, I can't wait. So everyone go follow her. Um, uh, her Instagram is just her name, Nadia Okamoto. And it's August. So that that's her brand that's coming out. Shit's happening. And obviously founder of Period Movement. And when is your book coming out? Is it already out? My book came out a couple years ago. So it came out in October oh, 2018. 
Okay, perfect. Go buy the book, y'all. Nadia, you're the best. And I'll see you in those clubhouse streets. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at bpn.fm backslash The Take On. And of course, on my Instagram at Amir Yas official. Yes, honey, we're official. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.